Fed Coaching. Today we are live from the Iowa Soccer Symposium. Um, it's been a great event so far, a lot of vendors, um, some great presenters on the cup today. Um, we are joined by James Wagonshoots from uh, the Colorado Rapids. James, thank you so much for being here. Um, it is truly an honor to have you, and thanks for making the trek uh, all the way to Iowa from Colorado. Yeah, thanks for having me. appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so as we typically do on the Corn Fed podcast, uh, we're going to jump into things. So if you want to give the people just a little bit of uh, background and a brief bio uh, on kind of how you're involved with the game, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so I'm really fortunate enough where I currently do get to work with the Colorado Rapids, primarily in the academy as a performance coach and applied sports scientist. Um, but it's been a long journey. I mean, I started out club coaching teams, uh, high school aged players, and went through the licensing process as well, and um, found myself as a director of coaching, uh, eventually became an academy director. But through my education and my schooling in exercise science, there was always kind of a calling to come back to more of the physiology, anatomy, and biomechanics side of the sport. So as a player and then as a coach, I started kind of linking things together, and I got really lucky along the way and um, was a college coach for, for nine years. And during that time, those, that college time period, we didn't have any fitness coaches or conditioning coaches, and because of my background, I was able to start kind of linking the pieces of, okay, how, how are we going to integrate the performance side with the coaching aspect? Um, so that was kind of the journey through uh, Division Three School, Colorado College, Division Two School, Regis in Colorado. And um, just got really, really fortunate knowing people along the way. And, um, and in 2012, got asked to start a performance program for a youth club, mm. um, whereas in the past it was kind of disconnected from coach to coach and age group to age group. So I came in and I built a performance program from scratch and managed that and led that for five years and that led to a number of opportunities, being able to work with the U.S. national teams on the, on the youth side, a couple of international trips, and, um, and then consulting on the side for coaches. Um, so most recently it was with the Philadelphia Union Academy and now with uh, the Rapids Academy. Quite a journey you've had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, 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 uh, and it's, it's, it never stops, right? It is yeah. the journey. And uh, I've just been really fortunate along the way. Uh, to be asked to, to give back as well. So I think one of the neat things about the position I'm in right now is doing the coaching education courses mm-hmm. for, for U.S. soccer and United Soccer coaches. So teaching the grassroots courses um, and helping coaches along their journey. I think that's really an exciting part of the process right now for me. Has, uh, how has the periodization, because obviously that's a huge uh, new kind of aspect of the coaching courses and kind of overlaps with what you're doing. So how has that impacted kind of the instructor side and has that um, has that interested you, obviously, um, in some way? Yeah, because I think of it in terms as, the, as humans, as we go through our life, we have to find moments of downtime and times of go and times of just staying the course, if you will. Sure. So we have to periodize our own lives. <laughs> and Absolutely. I always, and I yeah. find yeah. coaches it, yeah, coaches uh, more than anything, yeah. right? Yeah, we do. I think coaches have to periodize their lives. Yeah. And yeah. you know, periodization in general is has been around for a long time, mm. uh, but really started, you know, really in the twenties, thirties, um, Eastern Russian countries, Eastern Bloc, and then in the fifty two Olympics, fifty six Olympics, it became more of a notoriety as far as what uh, Olympic sports were doing. Um, specifically when you look at things that are either timed 
or measured in weights, so weightlifting, swimming, things of that nature where you can, you can measure outputs that way. Um, and so soccer, it seems like it's fairly new, but periodization is planning. Mm. That's all it is, is planning. And so how do you plan? And I think what we've done recently is, is tried to elevate coaches' understanding of how to plan for the long term, not just plan in the short term. Sure. What are uh, some of the common misconceptions about sports performance and sports science? The youth-based. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because why why do you think there's the word misconception in the beginning? Um, I don't know. Just as far as it's... Uh, I think it's a, going back to the, the courses, I think it kind of the... I think it's... It, the word science sometimes freaks people out. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like, agree. if it's not your subject in school sure. growing up or anything, it's like sports science. Like, I'm coaching. And what has this got to do with soccer? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, but, so I would, I would flip it around and, and say that with, it's kind of like the old quote about basically, like, you can't play soccer without fitness, right? Mm. But fitness isn't everything, but without it, you can't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the reality is, is it's, it's foreign or it's uh, obtuse or it's a little bit away from what you think you know mm-hmm. because it's maybe not something that you study yeah. or something that's interesting for you uh, as a coach. And what I would say is that I think one of the biggest misconceptions about it is that the first thing we really are concerned about is the health and safety of an athlete. The health and safety of an athlete comes first and foremost for anything we do from a performance standpoint but from a coaching standpoint. And so when you think about it in those terms and talking about how do you design a training session to protect the health and safety of the athlete so that they can be at their best when you want them to be at their best. And when the athlete wants to be at their best, which is, we say, all the time, or peak competitions. So now it's just how do we do that incrementally with either experience-based practice or evidence-based practice over the long term? And so I think the biggest misconception is let's not forget about the fact that we're dealing with humans. Mm. We're dealing with people who all have unique physiological and biological needs. Let's not forget about that. And so when you start try to remove the barrier or remove the misconception that it doesn't have to be so detail-oriented to be confusing, but we can do it in practical terms that's useful when you're dealing with humans in sport. Yeah. Um, so going on that, what are the so the kind of the reverse side? If you look past the misconceptions, how uh, or what are the most impactful ways that you can see um, sports performance and sports science connecting with soccer specifically? So I, I would I would try and make sure that we understand that sometimes sports science gets a bad rap mm. because of too data-driven, too analytical, not enough soft skills related, more hard skills related, and that sports performance is more weight room based, mm. is more gym based. And it ha- you have to look at it from both lens and you have to look at it holistically. Sure. So if we can just wrap it up into one, we're, we're all ultimately talking about supporting the coach and the coach's objectives. So from a soccer standpoint, sports science, sports performance, anything to do with the the athlete's well-being is designed to support the overall tactical objective of the coach. I think that's first and foremost. Um, The second thing I would say is that 
if you if you do have resources to these of these folks or people who are working in this domain, utilize them as much as you possibly can, because it's about a shared collaborative process. It's not about living in silos. You have to have some sort of collaborative shared process, um, which will enhance communication, which ultimately improves decision making and improves interventions. So those are the two things that I look at from a sports performance and sports science standpoint is how do you improve decisions and how do you improve interventions? And how, what, what results have you seen by paying attention to those things? So you, like you mentioned at the very beginning, you spent time at different levels, right? Even the youth level, college level, now at the academy, primarily on the youth side. So what, what results are you seeing from kind of focusing on those areas? The, the first thing that I've seen is that ha- athletes are available to train mm. because they're not injured. Yeah. They're not sick. And it's just really simple. Like in the Rapids Academy when I got there, um, there was a program in place. It just hadn't been um, implemented on a consistent basis, but it was there. And so I said, well, let's just do two things really well. Let's lift and let's run. Mm. So isolated running. Um, and lifting. So if you think about it, soccer players play and every time they run, they're stressing themselves. And if they've never have time to recover and they have never have time to build their own infrastructure, their body's infrastructure, they're just going to continue to break down. So how do we, how do we add lifting, which is a little bit more stress? Yeah. And how do we add running to protect hamstring health? So we, we, we protect hamstring health and posterior chain, then we're going to protect their knees, their brains, etc. So those are two things that we've done really, really well consistently. And athletes are available to train. We are more fresh toward the end of games. Um, and we continue to see small gains throughout the game. So we don't fatigue after 60 minutes or 75 minutes. We actually get stronger throughout that. Um, and just doing it with really practical ways over six-week blocks okay. um, really fits in our schedule. Sure. So speak to the isolated running. So that, uh, to me, that might be a misconception because there's been a lot of discourse over, yeah, you, you, everything we need is with a ball, right? So the benefits, obviously, are injury prevention, like you're saying. So what? how would you go about that, uh, maybe in a less formalized right so the academy is you know higher level um how would you implement that in kind of a maybe a three um three training session a week for a a youth coach that's you know maybe not have all the resources that an academy would have you do you still suggest isolated running i do and i recommend doing it during the activation period okay during the warm-up period so it's a time when you can microdose to take a word from Bill Knowles, who's one of the world's most foremost experts in reconditioning, rehabbing athletes. If you can microdose it, um, or another way to think about it is you have a bank account, and that bank account has interest. And if you put a dollar into the bank account every day, you're going to get more compounding off of that interest rather than not contributing to it. So we're talking about strength deposits. By high-speed running, every activation or activations, in our case, we're doing it once a week, and we will sprinkle it in occasionally twice a week, but primarily once a week, where it is learning how to become a better runner so we can teach biomechanics, mm. 
we can take care of their hamstring health, and you can do it within the time frame or the window of the activation. So it doesn't feel like to a coach that you're adding more time onto the practice. So how does that help them? Well, it helps them with their mechanics. It helps them become a better athlete when they're done playing soccer. Mm. It helps them understand the habits. It understands how if they were to take small incremental doses of high-speed running all the time, they're going to feel like they can continue to run in matches longer because they've already done the work prior to going into the training sessions. Sure. How long will you run? Like, what are the distances? Well, it, de- it depends. Now, this comes back into periodization. Sure. So now it becomes into planning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how long to do it, how much to rest. Um, so the context is really important. Yeah. Before I just sure, say blatantly, sure. right. Absolutely. okay, we're going to run six times 45. It, it, it all really matters, the context, before you, you start uh, blindly prescribing things. Sure. And so we're, we're talking about planned running, not necessarily running for punishment. Is Correct. That- Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. So this is, this is cultural. This is about habits. And this is about helping to recognize also from a performance side, I get to watch athletes run every week without the ball so that let's say maybe there's a top athlete in the group and they're looking at maybe signing with the first team, but we've noticed mechanical deficiencies that either helps them or hinders them based upon a position they might be playing in with the first team. Mm. So we, we have a player who who might be a six, but at some point at the next level might drop in to be a four or five as a center back. But they need maybe certain movements a little bit differently, being able to jump more as a center back. Um, But they can't express power in a way that they were as a six. And now we certainly know their mechanics, and then we can break that down. Maybe we do some isolated work with them. Uh, So that's one of the ways that really is helpful. Will you video that to see their body mechanics and everything like that? Yes. Yeah. Not often, but yes. Mm. Awesome. Um, so, so you, you started a uh, performance program at a club. So what do you think as far as clubs that don't have the opportunity and to get a full-time sports science coach or performance coach, what are the things that they can utilize to kind of uh, get into that? Yeah, I'm actually going to talk about that today at the, oh, awesome. at the symposium. Hey, hey, awesome. we, don't, we won't post, we won't post the post <laughs> yeah, before you do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's basically what I'm presenting on is that I recognize the need in this country is that um, it's an area that's under-resourced yeah, for most clubs, uh, which is really a shame because if you think about, we talk about health and safety and athletes' well-being, and then we don't give them the resources to support their off-field care. So... I think the first thing you look at is, well, what's your club's um, or your environment's mission? What do you value? And it's aligning priorities with your values. I think that's a really important piece, that it's not about just talk. It's about showing the action. And it can be done really simply by coming up with one or two low-hanging fruit things that every team across every age could implement. And that's what I really think is... um, that comes back to the microdosing. Yeah. Here's some fun, strength-based games that every team can play during every activation slash warm-up without any resources. And that can align with kids. Can you imagine having your kids play a small um, five-minute strength-based game every day? It would look like recess. Yeah. <laughs> it would look like play, and it would look like kids having fun. 
And so I think, one, having priorities aligned with values, two, coming up with strength-based activity games that can be done every day. And then the third thing is, is form partnerships. Mm. So once you get in and you establish a routine with coaches, the clubs ought to look to establish relationships with existing partners in the community, sports medicine professionals, hospitals, um, independent healthcare providers that have performance-based uh, offering or services. Those people are eager to get the network the clubs have, 500 kids or 1,000 kids, um, because they're after the parents. But it's a win-win because then the club has access to, if a kid gets injured, they could go in and seek help. Sure. So those are the three things, making sure that your priorities are aligned with your values, doing strength-based fun activities during the activation, and then the third thing is to look to grow partnerships uh, in the community. Absolutely. Um, so starting, the, especially the strength training, um, what age would you recommend? And I know, I know it's hard to give a, a general without the concept and the planning, like you said, but what age do you find, generally speaking, is a good age to start kind of implementing this? Or is it from the youth all the way down to U11 and when they enter a more competitive select environment? Or is it more of the high school age groups? So I look at it from if a kid's four, five, and six years old, if they're not tumbling, crawling, rolling, lifting, carrying, pushing, pulling, we're missing an opportunity to help kids develop physical literacy. Mm. And I think it's a... I was just having a conversation with somebody who lives abroad and they see kids that are not as mobile when they're 12 and 13. So at that point, you've kind of missed this window already. So... When you've got the little kids, give them opportunities to be kids. Let them, like I said, crawl, roll, tumble, etc. Um, pick up different sports, do different things, um, and then you know, really from seven years old to twelve years old, there's kind of this nice window where kids can start to express themselves, and that's when I would start to incrementally layer in different components. Uh, when we're talking real performance. For me, it's beyond their uh, their maturation mm. and their their puberty stage and their growth spurt. I think there's there's habits and there's ideas we can give these athletes before then, and then we can start to really individualize the performance level once they've gone through their maturation. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's usually beneficial for every coach out there to hear. Again, something that oftentimes goes overlooked and that can actually very, very seriously impact performance at the higher levels. Um, so we'll end on, on a more lighthearted note, uh, easy. Uh, so what is your um, best soccer memory? Did you, you can play? Do, as did a, you play soccer? I did, but I was nowhere near the level that the kids are today. I mean, yeah, the, the, the kids today are so much better than I ever was. Uh, I can be pretty humble about that. Yeah, yeah no, I played a little bit. Um, I think, you know, my favorite soccer memory... I was a sophomore in high school playing high school soccer in St. Louis, and uh, I would train every now and again with varsity, but I was, yeah. we had a JV team, and I played down the JV team, and you know I got the call to go up to varsity as a sophomore. Sure. I, I did as a freshman, but it was not as yeah. much as a sophomore, and I got to play in a game as a sophomore, and I scored a goal from about 40, 45 yards out. It was one of those where, you know, you, you hit I, it. I hit it. I hit it. I hit it. I hit it as well as I possibly could. It went in. Um, 
yeah, I think that was a huge moment in, in getting that feedback of, okay, all right, that, this is fun. <laughs> yeah. This is fun. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, again, we want to honor your time. Thank you so much uh, for yeah, stopping by and chatting with us. Um, best of luck to uh, your presentation later on, and uh, have a safe travel back to uh, Colorado. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.